everyone, and welcome to Orthopraxis Podcast. My name is James O'Farron, and with me is Robbie Dini. Say hello, Robbie. Hello. And this, I didn't even notice until I was looking at the past episodes to figure out which episode is this. This is technically episode 13, but it is also the one-year anniversary. of Our first episode came out on Reformation Day of last year in October of 2019 it seems crazy it's been a year we've been yeah. doing this it's insane we've covered so many different things and there's so much more in our list of stuff we want to talk about but oh, yeah. I am, that's exciting that's pretty cool yeah it is pretty fun yeah <laughs> so wow. our, yeah it's, it's, it's mind-blowing uh so thank you for so much for pitching in and listening and commenting and engaging with us and you know liking and sharing our podcast so far and hopefully we'll be able to continue putting out awesome content and engage with you more in the future. Yeah. Thanks, guys. It's been fun. It's been a lot of fun. All right. So our topic for today, drum roll, is video games. Are they evil? And if you talk to certain people, they're going to say, obviously, video games are evil. They you know, erode your brain, they turn your insides to mush, and then you get accidentally possessed by demons, depending on what video game you're playing. And also possibly cause mass shootings or something? And, yeah, absolutely. I mean, totally. It's, it's just incredible how deleterious video games are, ostensibly. They're right up there with rock and roll music, I tell you. <laughs> exactly. So we're going to talk a little bit about our perspectives on video games and why we play them when, well, when we have time. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh my goodness. I find it ironic that I haven't played a video game in a few weeks now, almost a month, I think. I, I mean, it's kind of weird. I don't normally play them a lot to start with, but I've been super crazy busy lately and life is insane. And I just yep. haven't had the time to budget for it, but I do enjoy them. I do call myself a gamer. Uh, even if sometimes it's just a gamer at heart. <laughs> yes, if not indeed. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so we'll talk a little bit about our personal histories and our relationships with video games. And we'll talk about, you know, we won't go in depth into our theology of fun in general or the ethics of entertainment, however you want to say it. But because we've talked about that a bunch throughout our video or our series of review our reviews on video on movies that kind of stuff but and we probably will dedicate an entire episode just to that specific subject is it moral for christians to have fun listen to non-christians you think we, <laughs> you think that they think that we think that but we don't um this one is specifically talking about video games as a particular medium for enjoyment and recreation some of yeah. this because there's some unique stuff that has to do with it and there's some things that aren't so unique that you know you wouldn't really think that like well, this is just the same as everything else yeah but there's some really so, interesting stuff to get into in this one i'm looking forward yeah to it. i think yeah it's and video games have always been like an interesting topic because they've always just been like this weird zone where some people won't do them at all and mm -hmm. some people don't think they're bad they just think they're a waste of time mm -hmm. it's always like interesting the different people that you meet and some people will say they're bad but they play them anyways <laughs> which yeah, yeah. it's just fascinating to me so i think what it, the like the first thing we should do is probably go into our personal stories just so you yeah. have like the background of where we're coming from mm -hmm. 
to understand, okay, so these are where did where our biases may be. <laughs> right, right. I, I know we're probably not going to give very many solid answers. We're going to explore some deep questions that we don't know the answers to in this one. But I think we have enough of understanding to come to at least a stable guide for our own um, choices of which games we like and don't like, and I think are moral. And a lot of that comes from our unique backgrounds and our stories. So Ravi, what, tell me about your childhood. <laughs> well, when I was just, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, well, we always kind of had computers. My grandpa is kind of, big into technology and he always kind of gets the newest greatest thing and likes to figure out how it all works and that kind of stuff so we ended up my dad ended up getting a computer a while ago and like the first computer i remember us having we had a windows 95 machine which was the <laughs> old computer and then we had the new um e-machines which was running windows me so this would be around 2000 or so fancy yeah and well the way it would work is we could play video game computer games once a week and it would use so it would usually we'd usually do it on Saturdays. The way it worked is we'd had to had to have done our school for the week and all that kind of stuff. And then mm. we could earn time to play on the computer. So we would do a set of push-ups and however many push-ups we could do, that was the amount of minutes we could play on the game on the computer. And we do it <laughs> twice. One for educational games and one for non-educational games. So we'd play like Reader Rabbit or whatever <laughs> different educational game we managed to scrounge up at a yard sale or wherever we saw one that looked really cool. Like Where in the World is Carmen San Diego? There was a really I cool love that one. I there was a really cool one. geography one called um, Finding Blip. Oh, I haven't heard of that. Blip would get lost and you'd have to fly your airplane and they would say which country you'd gone to and there would be a blank map of the world. You'd have to fly the airplane to the country that he was in, <laughs> which was really cool and teaching geography, kind of. It was fun. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Or it would that. do like Carmen San Diego, where in the world and where in the USA are Carmen San Diego. We also had where yep. in time is Carmen San Diego, which is also fun. Yeah. So that kind of stuff. Um, Mavis Beacon, mm -hmm. different math games. Anyway, and then we'd have the non-educational time, which right. was whatever the smaller set was of push-ups we did. Mm. So if I did 50 push-ups and 40 push-ups, I would get 40 minutes of non-educational time and 50 minutes of educational time. I like the system. It was, it was a really yeah. good idea. And then, so after we did the push-ups, we had to earn the time, more push-ups, sit-ups, jumping jacks, whatever. And then, yeah, so as far as like non-educational games, we... Had a few. We had like Risk at <laughs> first, and then we got introduced to Age of the Empires by some of our cousins. And then a guy from our church had bought the game for his grandsons, but they were too young for it, so he gave it to us. So that became our go-to non-educational game. We would go <laughs> and play Age of the Empires. <laughs> and eventually we got semi-proficient at it, so we could actually play normal games instead of this build instead of the scenario builder but <laughs> yeah that's kind of where we started and since then we've very slowly added more games to our collection until i think until i was like 18 maybe 20 and then i got a steam account and started buying more games because <laughs> they were super convenient and cheap <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so, so how about you 
Yeah. So my family, we were like, like we had, you know, larger families. We, you know, we tended to limit part of my family's goal was limiting how much time I spent on the computer. We only had the one computer and there always were the dramatic drawn out political fights between the siblings of who got to use the computer, how long I remember my dad brought back a really old Apple, one of those really old Macs that was just like really basic, um, like early, early cursors. And it had, you know, it's like, you know, two or three colors kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it had like um, Sim Ant on it. And oh, yeah. Yeah. That thing was so much fun. I think I remember having that game, dude. Yeah. It, I, I, I'm so nostalgic just thinking about that one. And but the problem was, is that it ended up, you know, causing fights in a sense. Well, though, I still say that the fight was only because my, they let my littlest sibling planet, whoever won that one that was at the time. And at first it was like, ah, oh, he's too little. He doesn't understand what he's doing. So that's cool. He's not going to hurt anything until he found out how to, to delete things. Oh, <laughs> oh. he was deleting saved games and we were all freaking oh. out. Oh. And, um, I, I, there was a miscommunication somewhere and Papa thought we were like fighting over who had time. Like, no, we're fighting over him deleting our saved game. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, and eventually the, the computer ended up getting taken away and we were all very sad about that. But <laughs> so that was, that was my traumatic experience as a child with video games. I have a deep seated aversion to deleting anything since then. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, that would do it. <laughs> I can't do it. Anyway, so then fast forward a few years, you know, we were limited. We didn't use, we didn't get internet access. Um, so all local type games and it was like 15 minutes a day. So we played like, you know, gold runner and, like load runner, just the open source version and <laughs> runs on Linux. And what else did we play? We played like SimCity, that kind of stuff. And the more advanced type games, particularly the ones that involve shooting or that lasted longer that you couldn't play inside 15 minutes, my dad would play and we would watch him play it. So he would play things like SimCopter and you know streets of sim city those kinds of ones and then eventually we ended up getting rainbow six it was the first first person shooter game that we had ever encountered as um youngsters of course we didn't get to play it ourselves but we watched papa play it and he would sit there and and we'd go through and he'd watch it and his rationale for why this was a you know a good game to play was that one you could turn down the gore down so basically you know puppets you shoot them and they fall down they're just sleeping right anyway and (laughs) <laughs> and the idea was that you were clearly defined in a moral cause you were you know fighting to save hostages against you're fighting against terrorists you were you know this anti-terrorist organization that was you know you're obviously good guys fighting against obviously bad guys right and so there was no you know moral ambiguity there and you were learning there was valid tactics that you were learning good strategy so it was educational in that sense for learning strategic defense that kind of stuff so we enjoyed that and then, let me see, I was like 11 or 12. My brother Patrick was, uh, he would have been like eight or nine, I think, something like that. Anyway, and my grandfather, who we lived on, we lived on his property, got Half-Life, which is slightly more of a gray area <laughs> as far as <laughs> uh, good quality video games for kids. 
and he really wanted to play with us. And so we were playing with him for a bit. My parents reluctantly let us play with him and I enjoyed it. I, for some reason, I've never really been repulsed or really even really like, I didn't really enjoy it. I didn't really hate it. Just, I, I just never really had a kind of a thing about gore. It just right didn't affect me. I, it never has. Patrick, on the other hand, there's something about the, the shooting, the fighting, the aliens that was making him a lot more amped up and a lot more agitated and it was having negative effects on his behavior. So my parents were really concerned about it and so they stopped us from playing it and that got into a big, huge family drama thing with my grandfather and it was a big mess. But uh, <laughs> the upshot of it was that we didn't play uh, like video games with, with gore or fighting at all um, until after we were 16. And we also didn't watch movies with gore or fighting kind of stuff until after, after we were 16. So like my, my twin sister has just turned 16 and they finally got to watch Lord of the Rings. <laughs> they were so excited. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. <Yes>. Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so we, we kind of, in response to that, kind of cracked down a lot more, a lot, a lot harder on the content of video games and there's always been this reluctance on the part of my parents to let us use you know computers at all in general and we tend to focus more on so you know networking and I, I created later on when I was when I was older I created a lot of you know, communities and stuff online but right and then video games were not really a thing that we encouraged or did a lot of and it wasn't until you know uh, more recently, I started really exploring a bunch of different things. I finally got into Minecraft. I'll talk a bit more about that one later. And so I kind of haven't really had a lot of the upbringing of growing up with certain games. Like a lot of people define their generation by what games they played when they're growing up. I couldn't really do that. <laughs> but I, you know, I do have a few of my favorites of the, like the educational ones. Like you were mentioning, Robbie, like the, wearing, wearing the Rolls Car in San Diego. Those, those were awesome. But it's kind of an interesting thing where my formative experience was more an absence of video games and a distrust of them while at the same time on my in an environment of that, whereas in my part, I just loved them. I was obsessed. I love video games and I was always craving. There's something so satisfying. There's a particular uh, enjoyment of particularly in a first-person shooter where you're walking around in a world that's not the one you're actually in. Yeah, and you're interacting with these puzzles and doing these things and moving around. There's just something about that that's deeply appealing to me that I really enjoy. Right. But I didn't get to do it all that often. So maybe I had like that, that sense of rarity and specialness, that, that nostalgia that's tied to it that I still really enjoy. So that's kind of my background. I'm far more libertarian now about my video game usage now than I was then, but... It's also self-regulated because I do not have the time to spend hours playing a video game. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Regardless of how awesome it is. <laughs> Adulting really gets in the way of free time, doesn't it? It does. Like free time, good heavens. Yeah, there is no such thing anymore. But so I also find there's value in it. So we'll, and we'll get yes. there in a little bit. So why do I, I mean, with how busy we are, why would we do it at all? Right? Why would we spend time? Suppose we could go read a book. There's so there's oh, there's so many things that are filling our time, that are profitable and powerful and amazing. 
why would we ever spend any time on video games? What, what's, <laughs> what's the point? Why would we do it at all? Well, I think like the main reason people do them is at least the main reason I do them is to relax. Yes. Because it's been a little play, Jackable boy. <laughs> I really cannot put in the mental effort to go and read a book right now. I, mm. you know, I, <laughs> and then I just want something to take my mind off it and something that I can enjoy doing for a bit. So I'll mm-hmm. play a game here and there, like maybe a half hour, hour or something, playing a game. Mm-hmm. It's very similar to watching movies, kind of. Yeah, it is. It is, and, and I think a lot of the the theology of fun in that sense that we would apply to movies would apply to video games in that sense. There is a, um, there is a good in enjoying, you know, the good, the true, the beautiful, whether it's a video game or a movie. And when you are, whether you're playing a video game or playing a sport or a board game or a tabletop game, like an RPG or mobile, whatever it is, there is a sense of enjoyment and pleasure that I think is created and it's innate that a sense of recreation is not only something that's good and is beautiful in that sense. And so it's beautiful, but also has positive impact on our minds. It's a, a kind of like a kind of like our body needs sleep. And our mind needs a chance to recharge and to um, re-energize. I know that myself as a creative, when I'm working with, you know, if I'm writing my stories or I'm trying to design code or come up with speeches or anything like that, I'm constantly creating. I need to have input. <laughs> right. I need to put stuff in my head to get stuff out of my head. And sometimes, and, 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 and like feed it with different kinds of things. And sometimes watching a particular kind of movie will feed a particular type of output and watching, and but sometimes I need a, something that's a bit more engaging because you know, the distinctive quality of a video game versus a movie is that you're participating in the video game. You're collaborating with the creator in creating an experience. It's not something you're just sitting passively and absorbing. You're actually helping to create. And so it's kind of like a mid-ground between creating art directly from yourself and passively consuming art. You're, right. It's an interactive where you actually yeah. like engage in the art form, which is super yeah. cool. Which is super what, cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's what like a lot of books and stuff and people especially who love books and stuff, it's because they get engaged mm-hmm. in it. They interact yeah. with it on a different level but in video games you actually get to become a character in Mm -hmm. the in the story itself yeah kind of like you know like an rpg is where you're collaboratively writing a book together a video game is like you're collaboratively making a movie together it's kind of a similar analogy possibly they're on that spectrum and so sometimes you need to engage but you don't want to just completely turn off and just stare at a screen that's feeding images sometimes you do and sometimes you want to engage and analyze the stories in in the movie as well because it's not always completely passive at least not when you're a a critic but (laughs) but in, in a video game you are engaging with it in a unique and precise way that is um recharging for at least my creative mind it has a lot of value and benefit that helps me to be able to continue 
producing and being profitable and being able to continue fulfilling my calling. So that's a big part of it. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's interesting the whole like balance there because there mm-hmm. really is, well, as in all things, there's balance in life where there are times when you need to stick to it and force yourself to be learning and be doing productive things Mm -hmm. when you don't feel like it. But then there's also a time to relax and just be right. That whole, um, what is it? Ecclesiastes three thing Mm -hmm. time for every purpose under heaven. Yeah. And including video games. Right. (laughs) And so (laughs) the, so I've always had like this, there's always like in the groups I've been in, there's been a push to like do the better thing. Mm-hmm. So why would you play video games when you could be studying theology or why would you <laughs> choose to work your job when you could be going out and sharing the gospel? Now, nobody ever did that, but that was like the logical extension of what right. they were talking yeah, I know my dad always. Why would you sleep about that at too. night when you could go? When you could be <laughs> yep. studying Greek, or yep. the problem is the the argument proves too much. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. it's the old abandoning the good in search of the perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and the fact that we aren't designed to be working all the time, which is a creation principle. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, God after he had created the world in six days, he looked on it and saw that it was very good. And on the seventh day, God rested of all the work he had done. Mm -hmm. Keep in mind, God didn't need rest. (laughs) Right. God, God is infinite, all powerful, omniscient. There is no way that creation caused him to be tired. (laughs) Right. He did it to set up principles. Because every time the Sabbath is brought up as part of the law, mm-hmm. it's referenced back to four in six days God created the earth and on the seventh day he rested. Mm-hmm. It was an example for us that we need to take a break. That yep. work is good. Work is what we do for six mm-hmm. days out of the week. For mm-hmm. the majority of our time, we are created to work and to take dominion, which I'll talk about later, yep. and to be productive. But there is a specific amount of time where we aren't to do that, right. where we're not created. We aren't built to be running all the time. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Which I think is a legitimate problem, especially in modern American culture. We, we are so amped up and going, going, going all the time, mm. which is why America is so productive. Like comparatively, Per capita, we are the most productive nation in the world by a long shot hmm. because like one of the things that my friends that are missionaries in like Europe say is one of the things that you're all Europeans comment on is how busy Americans are. <laughs> Holy they don't, we ha- compared to Europe, we have almost no holidays. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We work a lot we learn work long hours and a lot of people especially if they want to be like productive if they want to be um move up in the world mm-hmm. the way you do it in america is you work harder yeah you work overtime you yeah you work overtime yeah. 
I remember you work uh, 60 hours a week. You work two jobs so you can save up more money so you can go to college so you can get spend 120 hours a week at working <laughs> at college so then you can get a better job. So then you can only work 80 hours a week but get paid 200 grand a year. And it's, yeah. Yeah. I remember when my dad, when he was working over in Ireland, yeah, it was, he was talking about that because he'd go to work and they'd ask him who's going to work overtime. And, um, like only the German guy would raise his hand, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and everyone else is like, yeah, you'd be crazy. And like, we got, we got families at home, you know, we're going to go to the park, you know, the the, the pub with with the buddies and that kind of stuff. And like, you know, we're not, that's just not what we do. That's not our culture. And, it, it's we had people from there are people from all over Europe there and it was interesting like the, the Americans and the uh, Germans were the only ones who actually conceived of the option of overtime in a realistic right. sense. <laughs> Germans because which is though. yeah <laughs> <laughs> my my dad my my dad is uh, three quarters German so I can say that <laughs> yes. My my heritage is mostly German, so I can also attest that it's in in Germans, at least in the anecdotal level, that my family isn't exactly the most sane group in the world. (laughs) Maybe we're just hyper sane. I don't know. (laughs) Hmm. (laughs) Anyway, so yeah, so there's that's definitely a a key thing to bring into consideration when we're dealing with just any kind of entertainment is that different kinds of recreation will recharge in different ways. Just like with different people's personalities require different kinds of recharging. Yes. Uh, like, you know, I need to recharge by being with people. My wife needs to recharge by being not with people. In fact, <laughs> by <and> not. <laughs> yeah. At all. So much not. <laughs> <laughs> and so in a similar way, with different people who have different creative skills might need to recharge their creative batteries in different ways. And for some people, that's video games. Some people listen to music. Some people it's, you know, reading books some people is watching movies sometimes it's all of the above i tend to be one of the all of the above people I yes. it out. so let's so let's move on from there and look at some of the other value that there is in games what specifically in video games um one of the ones that can be brought up is that when you're playing video games because you're participating in it there's a lot more opportunity for community involvement you're actually able to engage with actual people while doing it if you're sitting there on a couch watching a movie together you can chat about it and interrupt the movie it's not designed for talking about while you're doing it right right movies are not designed to be an interactive medium right (laughs) and so you're both looking away from each other you're both looking at the the movie and it there's a certain you know camaraderie there but it's not anything like the same as teaming up to go gun down a demon together in a video game you know or Mm. you know building a house in minecraft together or going out on a walk with Pokemon Go to go collect Pokemon together, um, or you know, teaming up in Fortnite to go compete together in some way. And there's, there's a lot of different opportunities in so many different ways to engage in community while playing video games, and that's a fundamental good, I think. Yes, yeah, the ability to connect with people, and also one of the things that is sadly missing in a lot of what we do is community accomplishment Mm. doing accomplishing things together Mm -hmm. where everybody's working to a common goal is super Mm. important and it's very fulfilling when it happens and video games offer like an easy way to do that yeah 
because it's already narrowed it down to the people who want to accomplish this thing, who <laughs> right. want to work on this, as opposed to every group project ever, where it's <laughs> one person who wants to see this thing done, one person who hates his life for being here, and one person who's just here because it gave them extra credit on the course. Yes. Yeah. So it's it's kind of like you know I would and that that's a really good point because I think like in Toastmasters where you have a safe environment to practice your speaking skills and your communication and your leadership skill for it's safe to fail where everybody there is wanting you to succeed and it's easier to practice and learn there. Whereas in, you know, the outside world where that's not always true, it's not always safe to fail in the real world and it's dangerous and risky. And so it's good to learn and practice and grow in a safe environment and where people are all on the same side. And in video games, you can learn that kind of stuff where you are, everybody's, you're learning to do a group project with people and they're all enjoying it and all on the same side. At least you know, if you have a good quality community and a good quality game, this is true. And you're able to actually practice these kinds of collaboration skills that uh, sometimes it's harder to set up in the real world. Right. And then uh, like yeah. other things I've learned, one of the things because of the type of games we played like age of the empires, but then we played other big strategy games like total war or, um, <clears throat> Sim City, Civilization, two, three, four, five, and Alphidius <laughs> plays six. I've only played five. <laughs> but those type of large-scale strategy games, mm-hmm. they help you think about stuff from a big-picture perspective. Mm. And they so they actually build skills. And then there's, like, mm-hmm. the educational games we were talking about. Oh, yeah, yeah. Definitely. It's actually what it does is it makes, makes learning fun. Mm-hmm. Because it's uh, accomplishing a task that gives you a reward of uh, the same accomplishment feeling, mm-hmm. but it snuck in that it was teaching you geography. Right. Because nobody likes going to a map and learning the different names of these different odd-shaped blocks on the map. Well, I might have, That's but that un- was also weird. Okay, nobody likes doing that. <laughs> Not a single... <laughs> Human, <laughs> like human. get a map. I don't know what it was. I don't know. You're weird. Anywho, I know I am. <laughs> but I also then, like reading like, the dictionary for fun because they. So, I mean, okay, we may have to rethink this whole podcast idea. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I was weird. I was weird. weird yes, me. so was I. But I was weird in different ways, which is why which, we were the fun thing. Which is yes. the fun thing. Yeah. yeah, but the whole creating subliminal incentives for you to mm-hmm. want to be able to do that. Because if you don't type fast enough, then you lose the car race mm-hmm. or whatever it was. Yeah. It was teaching you things by incentivizing you doing them better. Yep. Which is always super cool. And, that is so, you... and people are finding how much that can be applied to so many different areas. I mean, I'm yes. currently working on a system for gamifying Toastmasters and making it kind of like an RPG in a way. And there's so many different ways you can apply it to encouraging people to write more and to clean your house. I know my wife and I use like a marble system where we give each other marbles as rewards for doing stuff that was difficult. And it's, it's a little game and it's a lot of fun and it helps us to adult better. <laughs> right. But we, we learned that through video games and right and games. almost anything if you turn it into a game people will pay more attention to it 
yeah. they'll pay attention to something that's an interactive game. Mm-hmm. They take part in and they can either win or lose depending on the effort they put into it. Yeah. They will put much more effort into it, even if it's the exact same thing as just a task that mm-hmm. they're told to do on the other hand. We're fundamentally designed to, God designed work to be enjoyable. And so as we add that fun aspect into things, I think it's actually more in line with how God wanted everything to work. Yes. Yes. I I think it's built in there. Yeah. So the whole, we're the, one of the things that the value can be teaching things that teaching you in ways that are hard to do outside of making it fun in games, because most people have problems with geography because it's just, here's a name and here's an odd shape in the middle of Africa. (laughs) <laughs> All right. Good luck finding Djibouti without it being na- labeled. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, All right. So another aspect that this is one of the ones that I'm kind of still exploring on a philosophical level and I'm not entirely so, so we'll, we'll, we'll talk this out a little bit and I'd love to hear what you guys think about this and let us know, comment, send us a message in our discord server on Facebook and let us know what you guys think. Cause this is, this is something I'm really curious about. So we are created to be creators. We are given the calling of dominion and in the dominion mandate. We're supposed to think God's thoughts, God's thoughts after him. As uh, I remember who said that originally. Do you remember, Robbie? Uh, thinking God's thinking thoughts God's after him. Not currently. Yeah, not, it's not coming it up. Up. I have a couple. Yeah, I have a couple of them in mind. It might have been Francis Schaefer. Might have been, yeah. He, I think he quoted somebody else who said yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so one of the things that really, for particular kinds of games, like, you know, for example, Age of Empires, but for me in particular is Minecraft. One of the reasons why I love that game and typically I will opt for playing that over another one is the idea that inside of it, you are creating things. You're creating art, you're creating buildings, you are shaping a world. You're doing literally what God called us to do in the in you know in the real world, and it is giving opportunity to go out and tame a wilderness, which is slightly more difficult for most of us to do yes. <laughs> now. And so, it, respawns it, are significantly harder in the real world. Yes, just saying. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> and, and there is this fundamental craving that I believe we have. This satisfies, and I think it's a godly craving, and I think that it, I personally think that it's satisfying in a godly way. And you're because you're able to create art in there just like you know, with paper and pen or with you know, ink and um, paint and canvas. It's you're creating something that's beautiful through a challenge instead of just you know, painting a picture, you have to go and battle creatures and collect resources, and there's so much more value in that in whatever you end up um, creating as a result. And so there's this this infinite satisfaction that comes from that. And the question comes, is this just like scratching an itch and replacing the actual fulfilling of this calling? Or does it actually fulfill that calling? Right? Yeah. This this is what, this is is kind of the exploration. So. Yeah. One of the things I was thinking on that is a lot of times. So, we're, we know we've been given this, like the 
the dominion mandate as it's mm-hmm. called the in genesis 128 be fruitful and multiply fill the earth and subdue it have dominion over the fish of the sea the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth mm-hmm. it's we're to fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the things that are in it so we have this drive this god-given drive our mission is to bring the earth under dominion to take um control but also responsibility for it mm-hmm. and one of the things that video games are especially able to do is anybody can play age of the empires or one of these civilization building games and they can be literally the one in charge of this giant kingdom that's trying to rule over the whole earth mm-hmm. And part of like the civil the attraction of the civilizations is trying to build your civilization in such yeah. a way so you're taking dominion over more and more territory and building more stuff and creating a better place. Yeah. And one of the so I guess the tension there is that it's digital. <laughs> well, no. Oh no. It's not so much that. Okay. It's is it distracting you from taking dominion in real life all right yeah yeah is am i using this as a as not a placebo but uh a substitute for the real thing am i taking this supplement so is it like me taking vitamins in the morning and therefore thinking i don't have to eat good food (laughs) am i saying oh if i just drink coffee then i don't need to sleep at night am i masking the symptom Mm -hmm. that urge that god has given us Mm -hmm. that's that's kind of how i the tension i have on it Mm -hmm. is on one half it's exercising dominion in a digital way Mm -hmm. and it's practicing learning how to exercise dominion how to how tactics and working things together and balancing the balance of economy and resources, the use of the use of strategy of proper, all kinds of things work into these different games Mm -hmm. and it's a good training resource, but unless you actually take that training and go out into the world and Mm -hmm. do something with it, it can be you just using this to escape your problems. Right. To escape I, the I fact do, that you yeah. aren't living up to the Dominion mandate. So this is this is kind of one of the tensions I've always had with video mm-hmm. games. I love yeah. them and they're fun, but I also think that there's they can be too fun because they're the easy <laughs> op they're the easy way out, basically. Yeah, I hear you. If I'm not thinking ways to be productive and just find that sense of accomplishment in my real life, in my work, mm-hmm. but every night I come home and I go online and I beat up a big monster with my friends online, and mm-hmm. that's where I'm getting my sense of accomplishment from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm detracting from my real interactions with humans who I know who I'm called to be the light of Christ to in response for me to play a character interacting with people I don't know to beat up monsters. Right. And I think there's a a good sense of prioritizing meaningfulness 
I know, like, for example, playing Among Us, if, you're, if I'm playing it on my mobile with random strangers around the world, I'm not creating very much of a really strong connection there. But if I'm playing it with my friends on Discord, then I'm actually creating a connection with them in community, having fun with people that I actually do know. And there's a higher value in the latter, right? So, you know, playing an RPG with friends that you're actually interacting with rather than, you know, just teaming up with, with random people on, a, you, know, you know, Call of Duty or whatever, sometimes it doesn't really actually satisfy the sense of community. And sometimes you get really great friends on Call of Duty and you know them really super well and so you play with them fantastically. So it, it, it's a balance there. And I know that, you know, with you and I both, we're super possessed with um, Drive for doing lots of things. And we are really engaged in definitely fulfilling the, the Dominion mandate in our day-to-day lives. And we aren't, obviously, by the fact that we play, haven't played video games in a bit, <laughs> we aren't right. prioritizing them over our uh, more real um, endeavors. Right. But then, so that, that, and that's the caution, is making sure that you are prioritizing things properly. So then there's other right. side thing. There's the balance, because yes, like, like we were talking about with the whole, with the creation, with the mm-hmm. creation order, with the six days you shall work and on the yep. seventh day you shall rest. There's a proportion to the If balance. you shift it so now you're resting for four days and just working the three days so you can rest for the four mm-hmm. and go and slack off, then that's not a good thing. Not a good thing, yeah. It's not, it's disordered. So there's two things that I, I thought about in connection with this. One is um, a anecdotal story of these. Uh, one of the builders was building one of the cathedrals. And there was a guy, one supervisor was going along and watching this particular worker. And he was carving this little bird, this little stone bird that was in one of the inside rafters of this cathedral that was going to be covered up. So nobody was ever going to see it again after it was finished and he's putting his effort into this bird. And he asked him like, why are you doing this? This is like a waste of time. Or you could be going to decorating some part of the building that people would actually see. Right. And the builder responded that God will see it. Right. And I will see it. And there's this sense of sometimes there's things that are good because we are interacting with, in a sense that bird possibly on a physical philosophical level wasn't real. Because like, if, if, if a tree falls in the forest, does it, it doesn't make a sound if nobody hears it. Um, but if God sees it and God hears it and we, as people, when we're working on, on a story that nobody ever sees except ourselves, we should still try and write it to, to the best of our ability to glorify God. Even if we're not glorifying God necessarily to other people, we're glorifying God to God. Right. And in ourselves, we're worshiping him through that. And so I think in a similar way, sometimes as we are exercising our creative and our, um, our dominion mandate skills, even if it's in a video game where we're not actually necessarily impacting the world around us directly, we're still by doing that glorifying God, not in the same way. And you shouldn't obviously swap it out completely. Um, but it is, has that value and that merit in that we are still capable of glorifying God in ourselves and directly to him, even if he's the only one who sees it. So there's that aspect. And that, and that kind of ties into the whole idea of 
if you're seeking to glorify God, you can glorify God in almost anything you do mm-hmm. in which there is no sin. Yep, absolutely. If I'm seeking absolutely. to bring God glory in my work teaching people, mm-hmm. then I'm glorifying him in the way insofar as I'm doing a good job and making him look good. Absolutely. By the fact that I'm doing it for him. Yep. Then so that, that's one aspect. Um, Cause I think that the activity of being creative and exercising dominion in itself, whether it results in something digital or real, the spiritual act is the same and thus glorifies God in the same fashion. That, that's my own thought on it. And I could be totally wrong on that, but that's where I am currently. Then the other aspect of this is what about people who play games professionally, right? So this is <laughs> their work. This is their six days, um, whether it's like a streamer who is, you know, like so my, my friend of my friends is a video streamer um, or whether it's, you know, competitive esports where you are competing professionally with another team to try and be better at playing Call of Duty or whatever, um, which is significant. It's a significant thing now, just like, you know, playing, you know, right. football or whatever. And yeah. you can make, you know, that, this is actually a thing, people, thing that people do for their living. Form of, yeah, right. it's a legitimate form of sports, kind yeah. of, oh, so, as entertainment, I guess, would be right. correct. And so in a similar way, if you, if you think, I, I, I'm backing out, zooming out on this concept, because a lot of people are like, wow, what a waste of time. That's ridiculous. People would pay people to watch them play video games, right? Um, but I'm like, well, as we said earlier, video games are participatory creation of an art form, of an experience, right? And, and, and so in that sense, it's very similar to a painting or a book or a movie. And so people are paid and make their entire living off of writing stories for people to read. They're not building bridges. They're not plumbing toilets. They're not doing that. They're, they're creating art for people to enjoy and to consume as entertainment for the user. So their profession is helping other people rest. Right. Right. And so in this way, I think that esports have the, or streamers are morally in the clear in that sense. Yes. Uh, I see no reason why there's, why there, why video games or, Esports would be specifically forbidden any more mm-hmm. than people who play soccer, right? Because I, 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 we might talk about this a little bit, but the whole idea concept of a game is all just made up. There's mm-hmm. no physical change in the rest of the world when a foot one football team gains more points, right? There's no physical change to how things work, <laughs> right? It's all psychological and because of the rules of the game, this team won and this team mm-hmm. lost. Right. And in the same in, way, in, 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 in uh, sense, that's digital. Team, it's just exactly <laughs> right. Yeah. Non-physical. It's a non-physical thing. Even if it's, it yeah. I, I like that way of putting it because it's so easy to make this distinction between, well, you know, football or, you know, footy and all that kind of stuff. They're, they're real because you're on an actual physical football field and you're kicking a physical ball around. But the point of it is just as unreal as playing a video game. Exactly. Which interestingly is kind of why I gravitated towards ultimate Frisbee because it's, (laughs) it's energetic and I actually put out physical effort, which I enjoy Mm -hmm. in it, but it's also 
less real in the sense that I don't get hit by people playing football <laughs> or this break stuff because I'm playing basketball at a hard field or whatever it is. It's <laughs> more energetic with less, <laughs> right. With less real world consequences. <laughs> right. Less risk involved. I like that. Right. That's true. Which is very similar more healthy. to the idea of games is, Hey, I can play sports. I can play shooting simulators mm-hmm. where me and my friends can go and try to shoot other people and nobody dies. Right. And we see who's better at the game. And, yep. or we could go out and try to play paintball, spend a lot more money and <laughs> people might get hurt. Right. <laughs> and that, that goes back to gaining the mastery and the skills because as it's always good to have things that multitask, they have, they have they, they, in the sense that you do one thing and it has multiple benefits or you do one thing for multiple reasons. And so right. that's why when I'm choosing what I'm going to do for my recreation, I want it to serve multiple purposes at once. And so in the same sense, I might play, I'll opt for something that's going to teach me when I'm, re- when I'm being recreational um, than something that's completely mindless. Right. And with the same reason you would pick watching a good quality movie versus a bad quality movie. <laughs> right. But in a similar way, like you could, you can play a video game that teaches you geography. You can play a you know physical sport that teaches you court physical coordination and improves your health. So you get benefits from both and, and you are trying to you know, improve in multiple areas in these different aspects. So, all right. So let's go on to, pitfalls what are the what what are things that we should avoid in playing games we've we've talked a little bit about some of them such as you know things that literally are a waste of time that you don't actually get any benefit from them um mindless things uh i know that even like i'll 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 go here i'll I'll go here um social media specifically i'm a nerd i like marketing i use a lot of different social networks and I'm good. I'm kind of a connoisseur of social networks, but there's a specific feature that's by design because their whole goal is to keep you on the, the platform as long as possible, right? That, that's the whole, that's how they support themselves through monetization. They want you on there for extended periods of time. And so their goal is to make it addicting to be on these platforms, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the whole action of scrolling this scrolling by uh, endless stream, the auto loading feed um, yes. of endless things a of genius move a might with these micro endorphin boosts coming at you constantly with no effort where you can go completely on autopilot and get everything just fed into you. Right. This is not participatory. This is not, you know, beneficial. And, and of course, particularly when the content is, you know, negative and, um, uh, destructive cognitively then it actually has serious psych- repercussions for your psychology and your mental health because you're turning yourself onto autopilot which opens up your mind for so you're not being crit- you're not critically thinking anymore and you're priming your mind for addictive behaviors and so you're actually becoming addicted to negativity that's bad like yes so bad in and, so many ways and um, seemingly extremely prevalent <laughs> it is. It's, it's, it's incredible how prevalent it is. And so you have to be very, very careful. And what, what I recommend is like timing yourself. You, you, you go on for a specific thing. I want to go find my friends and find out how my friend's doing. He's out of time for, ten, for half an hour. You go do that. 
right? I want to go connect with somebody or I want to learn about the news. And you go and you, because you're actively thinking about a particular goal that can short circuit the mindless scrolling, that kind of stuff. So that helps a lot. Right. But there's certain video games that are designed in the same exact fashion, right? Yes. Um, there's whole categories of them and you know which ones they are. <laughs> <laughs> And they are fundamentally addicting and they have, you know, they have their ads to keep you doing them so, so they can get paid for it, all that kind of stuff. But it's this cycle of you're not, they're not trying to make it challenging for you. They're not trying to make it, you know, gain you in mastery and skill. And so, except insofar as it helps to lead into the infinite cycle of the, of the game. And that is um, something that I avoid. I avoid those games completely because they turn off my mind. They disengage me and I'm not actually um, benefiting from it. And it actually puts me in a position where I'm more susceptible to triggers for sin because it puts your brain in that autopilot mode, which is i.e., giving yourself over to your flesh. That's in the spiritual terms. That's what that means. And so, and I, I recommend, you know, I work with people who are in addiction recovery and says, don't scroll on Facebook. <laughs> Right. Yes. It's dangerous. It is so dangerous. And the same thing for certain kinds of video games. So that's one of the very real pitfalls that um, is, I think, is one of the biggest pitfalls. Um, It's not the pitfall of accidental demonic possession because you're playing a game with something that has horns in it. That's not... That's not, that's not one of them. Um, (laughs) It is not one of the pitfalls. Back, back, Robbie, get away from your soapbox. Leave it. (laughs) Deal with that later. (laughs) Right. Um, But the, the significant one, the, the biggest one, because we we talked about, you know, being out of balance. And so you can, they can be a distraction from better things you're doing with your life. That's another significant one. We've talked about that a bit, but the big core one is becoming addicted to the game um and even if you're not addicted to the game where you could put it down and go do something else it primes your mind for addictive behaviors that can help your flesh gain the upper hand in your battles against it so that's that's my biggest warning not all games are like that not all games are like that Um, but i think a lot of games can be Yes, they can't. They're not necessarily addictive, but they're distracting enough mm-hmm. to remove your desire to fulfill, mm. to actually accomplish real. Well, isn't it kind of like you're saying where it's a, it's a place where you can do learn things in a safer, easier environment? So in that sense, they're like training wheels, but you need to actually take those training wheels off. Right. At you some point, you need to remove yeah. the training wheels and right. go out and actually bike down the street. <laughs> right. So you want to balance that out. So don't let them be a distraction from from the better things and have their be, be the I rest. Just have some friends who basically they live their lives to mm-hmm. play games, and they mm-hmm. go home and they play games, and they may or may not have a yeah. job, and mm-hmm. they go to their job so they can go home and play games. And that is, and it's, yeah. Yeah, sad. It's sad when you see that because the game is replacing the real life connection and accomplishments and Mm -hmm. what they're called to do because they found something that was that should be a training and a relaxant, Mm -hmm. but they're abusing it and turning it into the purpose itself. Yeah, right. 
kind of like people who get hooked on like some of the antidepressant drugs. Yeah. Yeah. It's there as a tool to help you deal with what you can't control until you're able to control it. Mm -hmm. But some people end up using it and using it as a replacement for actually dealing with your problems. Yep. Absolutely. So those are, I think that's really the biggest one. I mean, there is, there is also one other thing that this is more of just throwing a ball out there and seeing if it sticks somewhere philosophically. Um, I, I, I've had this idea bouncing around in my head that when it really comes down to it, a video game is simply interaction with electrons on a microchip in a computer, which is itself physical, right? It's not like it's completely imaginary. It's real. Um, and so is there something spiritually more significant about molecules than electrons? And I don't know. Well, I think, <laughs> I think the difference is that video games are primarily happening in your imagination. They're, they're, they are thought idea-based things. Just right. like, you know, the, the, the words that make but them look are different from the on the book. thought and ideas. Yeah. They're not collective ones. Unless it's a multiplayer game, like right, true, yeah, uh, a player game where you're all going through the quest together, where you're all kind of telling the story together, mm-hmm. it's all a personal interaction that all goes on mostly inside of your own head because right. the electrons change and then they give you and you only input. Mm-hmm. Unless, like you were talking about, watching your friends play, vi- watching your dad play video games, or mm-hmm. me watching my brother play video games. Right, right. So, yeah, so there, there is more. It's, there's there is a, a different connection, but it's like the difference between you know you can write a book for yourself or you can write a book for somebody else, but you're it's still an idea. It's a thought that's being transmitted rather than you know creating a tool or something. Right. Like that. I think the difference would be having an idea for a book in your head, like a story you told yourself versus mm-hmm. writing a book and publishing it. I can see that. I can see that. At least that's kind of where my brain's going right now. But <laughs> right. Yeah, this, this part's take it for that exact, being prescriptive. This, about. We're, we're just exploring right. this here. <laughs> right. This Take that advice for exactly how much you paid for it. It's probably <laughs> worth every penny. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right, so let's go on. So let's looking at, we've talked a little bit about the different kinds of things different kinds of games have brought in. Um, so let's look at some of the criteria of how to use discernment in deciding what types of games you should invest time and money in and which ones you should not. I, I, I mentioned ones that are you know focused on the exclusive role of being addictive. I think that's dangerous to do. Um, that type of gameplay is um, destructive uh, and debilitating yes. intellectually. Um, then you can go a little bit deeper than that. I know some people, I, we, we, we could make it the argument like we we're just talking about with community. You should only ever play multiplayer games. And I don't think we should go that far. <laughs> right. And it, again, it's like a lot of the things we've dealt with. Everybody has different, will have a different rule set mm-hmm. based on what their conscience allows. Kind of like yeah. we talked about with movies where right. some people will not watch R rated movies. Yeah, or they will not watch movies with any nudity in it, but they're fine with movies with violence in it. Right, or they're extremely sensitive to cursing, mm-hmm. but they're fine because with they haven't watched, listened to our last episode, of course. Right, 
because obviously <laughs> they if they'd listened to it they would have solved their problems already. right so i actually want to pause real quick on that one one, one thing you comment on there is the rating systems because i know some people who just have this blanket rule that you can't watch any r-rated movies and in a similar way you know no play no video games over t or something like that right and i always wonder about this in its wisdom because you're essentially handing over your own discernment to a secular rating system and rating yes right i think that in itself regardless of the content that may get filtered out or not is itself actually immoral because you're supposed to take responsibility for your own actions and not hand it to the world to make your choices for you and your moral disturbance. And if you look at how they actually rate systems, movies, video games, anything, you would immediately know that they have no idea what they're doing because they have no moral compass whatsoever. Yes. So I think you should look at the content specifically, like, like Ravi was saying, that this is something that is difficult and a struggle for me. Like for me, I have, I don't care at all about gore. It's just not something that it's not repulsive to me. It's not really, sometimes if if it's actually done really well, sometimes it actually is a bit attractive, but like, wow, that was a, that was an impressive head being blown up. That was well done. That's not creepy at all. (laughs) (laughs) I do, I do write and I do read and I do watch more. It's something that not, it's not cut out for everybody. And I totally understand that. Um, I'm just kind of weird that way. But, well, it's okay that you're wrong. <laughs> that's totally fine. <laughs> but for some people, and probably most people, that's not something they're going to want to watch because they don't see it as glorifying God. In, in exactly. Life. So that's totally fine. Is to and some people, it's not necessarily the amount of gore. It's just the actual presence of violence. They just can't stomach the idea of people being in conflict, and you know, watching horror movies where people get shot and even if there's no right. blood, they still don't like it. Um, I think and, they probably need to grow up a little bit personally because that's something that's in the real right. world and what's, in the Bible, for crying out loud. So, I mean, yeah. what's interesting, just like on a micro tangent there, like you mm-hmm. were talking about with your brother was having real issues. Yeah. yeah. Violence in games affecting ha- his personal. And that's a personal mm-hmm. thing. It is. Yeah. Some of my siblings get really deeply invested in books mm-hmm. and if characters yeah. in books end up making poor decisions mm. it physically affects my sibling's mm. life because yeah. they are now distraught because they're invested mm-hmm. in the story as if it were real life yeah you can and also that can happen with right, yeah. games where you're invest where if you end up not being able to separate it from your real life, you end mm-hmm. up being amped up because you're in this constant conflict scenario, this, mm-hmm. this fight or flight mentality, and it doesn't turn off when you turn off the computer. Yeah. So for some people, it can be violence in video games can be legitimately destructive to their, yeah, totally to their Absolutely. life. But for other people, it's, totally doesn't affect them like you were saying with right. violence violence and gore doesn't really affect you yeah that's not how your brain's wired yeah and something else that you just commented on in, in contrasting that with books because so you could as a writer it's something that you have to be very familiar with is what's how detailed are you going to be about different things because you can show something happening or you can tell something happening and some things need to be told and not shown um, most cases you want to show and not tell because it's more immersive. Some you, some things you don't want to immerse the, the reader in. Right. Right. And so, you know, that, that goes the difference between, um, erotica and erotica sometimes where you can have a, a story in your, in, 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 just in the events, something sexual happens and you can just say, 
something sexual happened and it's not bad. It doesn't conjure the image for anybody. It says, Oh, this is a fact of happen and you just move on. Right. And it right. impacts the plot, impacts the story, impacts the characters and you can show the results, but not the actual event in a movie. It is much more difficult to do that. Right. Right. Um, you can just say, you know, in a book that, that say, or like, like okay, game of Thrones example um, in season one, when, um, Daenerys goes into the um, pool of water that's really super hot and in the book you could say she's you know goes into the pool you don't even need to mention that she's naked because obviously that she's naked because she's going into a pool right um, in the movie in order to show this plot point you have to show her naked more or less there's ways you can work around it but they didn't of course right. um, but you have to work hard in order to make it un obvious you have to make, make make it not immersive in a, in a story when you're writing it you have to work hard to make it obvious you see, you see where i'm going there right right so in a video game however it takes that to another level it's like the next stage after a movie because you're actually doing these things right so with if you're like somebody is struggling with violence and in a story somebody gets punched right that's very different from watching somebody get punched in a movie and yet it's another stage different actually punching somebody in a video game right and so if somebody's more sensitive to a particular kind of thing they need to be careful and sometimes you know raise their standards for each relevant medium in video games you need to raise it a little bit higher i think because yes, because it has more, more of an impact because you're actually doing things it's actually participatory right by its very nature it's yep. more immersive and easier to Yep. get lost in because exactly. it's designed to create to drag you in mm-hmm. because you're actually interacting and changing how it works right so that it has so, more potential there in a, in a similar way that's why you know you can i can read mein kampf okay moving on to the next bit here because um i can read a book that posits a worldview that is against my own and understand it right and that's totally fine i can also read a book that is thematically promoting it. And I have to be careful. I have to be far more careful because that, that, you know, that philosophy is woven in subtly. Right. Right. I can also watch a movie where it's woven even yet more subtly. Right. Or make it even more, you know, overt and either way, but I'll still be very deeply impacted by it because of the emotional weight of the movie. And it will subtly change what is acceptable and, and um, what it fits in my worldview. Even if I'm watching something that's completely alien to my worldview, I have to be very, very careful. Because even if it's obvious that it's really something that's wrong, I because of the music, because of the story, because of how emotionally you know visceral it is, I can find myself agreeing with things that I actually disagree with. Right. Video yeah, would you like... It's the same yeah. way. It goes further than that. Because you're actually doing things. And so you... You can do things that could be immoral for yourself because you're caught up in, well, this is what I have to do to win. Is that itself moral, what you're right. doing to win? That because creates- video game writers can write a game in such a way that in order for you to achieve what would be considered a good outcome for mm-hmm. your character, mm-hmm. you do highly immoral things or endorse highly immoral things right? in order to because that's how this story is written which is why like going back to you know the beginning of this episode when i was talking about my family playing rainbow six that was why it was you know accepted for my family to play it because or my dad to play it anyway 
um, at the time because you were obviously on a good side. You're doing something that was moral. You weren't giving a situation. There were no moral choices of do I shoot this person or that person. It was very obvious what you were doing, right? right. And there's but there's other games that are not that way. In Half Life, there are some actually interesting moral choices. Most of the time, you're just bashing aliens, um, non sentient aliens, and that's totally fine and obvious because they're you know invasive species. Um, but then there were some moral choices, particularly in Half-Life 2, where you're getting to things where you're like making these choices, like, which side am I on? And that's a really interesting thing where you have this opportunity to create a moral quandary and actually test people's moral compass. And that's a good thing, I think, uh, in helping people to explore the boundaries of what they believe is right and wrong. And but then you also have to realize that those authors of these stories, in creating these moral choices, are also creating the consequences for those choices. Right. That, and they're they're yeah. pouring their worldview into yeah. the story they write. So it's like it's like you were talking about Witcher having kind of a Game of Thrones type morale, which I by the way, I I didn't finish reading the fifth book of Game of Thrones, I just got tired of the theme and the, the thematic content for it. Right. But so the Witcher games, I've played them, and yes, they are mature rated, and there are sex scenes that, for the most part, are skippable. <laughs> but that's not why I played them. I played them because the game itself, the whole, insofar as I understand the books, I have one of the books, I haven't read it yet. <laughs> but insofar as I understand the books, is it's a world of gray, mm-hmm. where most sci-fi or fantasy is a world of black and white. There's the good guys. There's the bad guys. You are a good guy. You're fighting with the good guys to defeat the bad guy, to bring peace and prosperity and all the save the galaxy, the land. Right. That's, and that's how most fantasy and um, especially video games, video games fall particularly hard into this category. You may have someone who's kind of an anti-hero, but in reality, he's just a hero who can do anti-hero things. <laughs> but for the most part, it's a good guy trying to do good things to make the good guys win. But in The Witcher, it's interesting because there are there isn't a, quote, good side. There are legitimate reasons to side with any given faction, almost. There are legitimate bad guys who are horrific people who end up usually get you end up usually killing at some point. But the idea is that all the choices you have, there's no, okay, this is the good choice. And that's the bad choice. You can choose to either be good or evil. It's that all the choices you have have consequences. Mm-hmm. And sometimes a little too much for my tasting. The problem is I would choose a choice that I thought was the best choice. For example, they were trying to lynch this guy and he was like a good, he came off as a good person. They didn't really have any evidence. They just thought he might've been a thief. Mm -hmm. So I tell them to let him go. They take it wrong and start to attack me. So in response, because I'm being attacked, I fight the peasants and kill like five of them or whatever. Set the dude free, he goes off, and then they would make you meet him later in the game where, voila, he was actually a thief leading a bunch of bandits, and now they're burning down a house. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's like they, they're like they're purposefully punishing you for doing what 
should be the right what thing. What was in the sense. right thing, yeah. right? Yeah. And not all of the options were like that. Some of them were legitimately, you could make the right option or the wrong one, depending on if you'd collected enough information and realized, oh, no, wait, this dude's lying to me. He's right. definitely a manipulative creep. I'm not going to take the girl back to him. I'm going to take her to his city and give her to a nice family, whatever. Right. And so there's this thing where you can't, you have to be a higher level of moral awareness in order to engage right. it, basically. Right. Just like, just like so some were- of it w- I really enjoyed because it was based, it wasn't like a, the easy option where there's the blue button and the red button. Red button, <laughs> right, the right. bad stuff. Blue button, you do. You channel stuff. the dark side or the light side. Very exactly. <laughs> it was much more realistic in the fact mm-hmm. that almost everything we do, mm-hmm. there Has are the rule of unintended consequences. Yeah, applies exactly. to almost everything. Which makes it an interesting thing, but you have to be aware of when Mm -hmm. it's trying to lie to you, when the story writers are trying to manipulate you into thinking that, oh, no matter what choice I make, what bad stuff's going to happen. So I may as well make the choice that makes me feel good. Because one Mm -hmm. that's actually one of the things in the witch, like one of the main quotes, I think, I forget if it's. It's from the books, obviously, but I think it's all. I think it was originally in the TV show, where it's like when given the option between be, between two wrongs, I'd prefer not to pick at all. Right. But most of the time, we can't just say, "I'm not going to pick." Yeah. We always have, even by our silence, we are making a choice. No. Yep. By the fact that we aren't doing something. So I think the the fundamental thing that it comes all down to is being discerning and thinking about it and then questioning your own conscience and where knowing knowing your weak points <laughs> and um, bolstering those and sometimes exercising them and but being aware and knowing your own worldview so that you can engage intellectually in these kinds of things and I think that just like we're talking about with you know, playing in a sandbox to develop your your collaboration skills or to exercise your creativity and the Dominion mandate. And you're kind of practicing these, you know, maturity type skills. And there's no way there can be, there can be some benefits to exploring these games and engaging with them and then being able to understand the worldview of the artists and also the people who play them. And you, it, they can be a doorway into exploring um, these kinds of things, other people who play them too, is also a possibility. Yeah, yeah. This is the, the the key, though, is discernment. <laughs> yes, discernment and not violating your own conscience. Yeah, I feel like we come to, back to that a lot in our podcast, but right, because because one of the things about orthopraxis, which is an interesting, we, we we've referenced a few scriptures in this one, but the thing is, that, you know, video games are not mentioned in scripture. Uh, and right <laughs> and so we have to derive from principles and in doing so we have to be very very careful and do it with guidance and caution and so we have these principles of um if it's not forbidden then there and if there is value in it then it is it can be good you know but finding balance in what god calls us to do and then how to do that in a responsible way so there's a lot of variation from person to person. I think that's one of the beautiful things about 
in the Christian faith is that we have a very simple set of concrete core um, truths about what is good and what is bad. And that means that there's a lot of flexibility. It makes it transcendent from time, culture, and individual. And so we can fall back on those as anchor points. But when we are dealing with individual situations in a particular culture or a particular technology, we can derive principles from those and you can be wrong and be able to learn from each other and teach each other um, from that. Yeah, definitely. All right. So I think that is it for this episode. Uh, We've covered a lot of stuff and a lot of questions left unanswered, a lot of um, our own experiences in this, a lot of our own biases and preferences. Um, But we would love to hear what you guys think. Uh, Maybe you've had some particular experiences or maybe you've um, come to certain conclusions that disagree with us, or maybe you have some other philosophical question or twist to take on these things. And we'd love to hear from you and to engage with you in rational and reasonable discourse. Yeah. So send us a message. Let us know what you think. We're trying to create a, we thought it would be fun to do like a Q and a where you guys, where we answer questions that we get sent in. So if you have any questions about it or just random thoughts that you wanted us to go over, like talk about, go ahead and send those into us. We really appreciate it when you guys react and ask questions and give, and give us feedback. Mm -hmm. Yep. So it'll be a listener driven episode, which should be, um, interesting (laughs) yep that's one word for it (laughs) all right thank you guys so much for listening in look forward to hearing from you remember to like share follow subscribe whatever you want to do to keep on listening to us and engaging with us and letting other people know about our random ramblings thank you guys so much hey god bless god bless